morning, everyone. Good to be back with you. Thank you for your prayers, particularly last Saturday week um, when I was involved with that men's breakfast at Eddington, which I mentioned to you and asked you to pray for. About 34 men then, most of whom weren't Christians. And uh, I had a, a marvelous listening. I just shared part of my testimony with them the way the Lord has cared for Jill and I down the years and uh, had an awful lot of feedback from various folks. And strangely, no questions. Apparently, it's the first session that they've ever had down there where there were no questions. Uh, I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing, but (laughs) some good conversations afterwards. Just pray for those men and that outreach, which seems to be so effective in that little church, which now has just over 30 members having almost died out about nine years ago. So we thank the Lord for the work that's going on there. I'm preaching at a wedding for one of my nieces next Saturday. I'd value your prayers for that. It's in St. Andrews and Clay Hayden, uh, up near Rosemary Lane, the next church along the road. So I'd value your prayers for next Saturday, if you could remember that. We're going to read from Joshua 14. These will be the last two studies on Joshua at this time. And uh, I hope that we've opened up enough of the book for you to be enjoying it in your own private meditation when you come back to your your reading in this lovely book. And we're going to to read uh, a little snippet today, which will be followed through tonight uh, from a slightly different angle in Joshua chapter 20. Here in Joshua 14.6, we are introduced or reintroduced to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Now, I don't, I don't know if you remember, you probably don't, but we first met him back in Numbers 14. And he was one of the spies who came back from Canaan with a good report. He didn't gloss the situation. He shared with the nation that there were giants in the land And that will be relevant uh, as we read this passage. But he's been quiet for 45 years. He's been kept alive by the Lord together with Joshua, the only two of that generation who survived into the land of Canaan. And uh, this is a remarkable piece of history that we read this morning. The men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. You remember something of the importance of that location. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people sink. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day Moses swore to me, The land in which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. A quotation from Deuteronomy. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years, since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. 
Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourselves heard then that the Anakites were there. The Anakites is a description of the giant tribe that lived in that area. The Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzites, ever since, since he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. Amazing passage. And I can remember first preaching it uh, to a congregation like yourselves at Allerbridge uh, way back in 1974. And it's been a, a constant sustenance to my own heart ever since. When I'm feeling down, I just think about Caleb. He's one of those guys in the Old Testament of whom nothing wrong or harsh is written. There's no comments of any, any description which is derogatory to his life and testimony for the Lord his God. And I wonder if I may just to open up this story a little and Hazel will follow with the text as we look at it. If you go back to verses 5 and 6, you will notice in verse 5 that the Israelites divided the land just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So Caleb didn't jump in and... Uh, say, well, I need my portion. The land had already been divided. The, the tribes had drawn lots and were given their various locations, which incidentally was a fulfillment of Genesis 49, when Jacob actually said about his sons the various parts of the land of Canaan that would be theirs. So Jacob was a great prophet, and uh, when the Israelites drew lots for the land, the various portions they drew were those that Jacob had prophesied way back in, Jacob, in Genesis 49. I, I just love the way the, the word of God hangs together in, in that, that sort of way. We see the prompting of the Lord into someone's life and then the fulfillment of it many generations later. So they come to Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, speaks to him. And he's talking 45 years back, as he makes clear in the text. You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Canish Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old. He shares the history with him. And I brought him back a report, the last phrase of verse 7, according to my convictions. And if you look at what Caleb says in Numbers 14, he makes it absolutely clear to the Israelites. And he says to them, look, the Lord has given us this land. All we need to do is obey him and go up and do that which God requires of us. And he shared with them that conviction, that deep-seated conviction, where he recognized that if we wholeheartedly follow the Lord, then the Lord will fulfill his purpose and will in us. And that's an immense challenge, isn't it, in 21st century Britain, to be wholehearted about our faith. Because it's so easy to get lackadaisical, and just assume, well, you know, it'll be all right, and the Lord saved me, and the Lord will care for me, and I'm going to heaven, so I don't need to worry very much about anything. But to be wholehearted, 
to be committed in that sense to do you actually get up every morning and say to the Lord, Lord, whatever you want to do with me today, that's fine. It's hard, but it's basic. You know, we commit ourselves, when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus, we commit ourselves to God and his purpose in Christ. And we're effectively saying we are now bond slaves, the phrase that the Apostle Paul uses. We are now bond slaves of the King of Glory. But here's a man who has been constant in his following of the Lord, absolutely committed to be wholehearted. And you say, well, it was easy for Caleb. Forty years with a bunch of rascals who wouldn't believe the Lord. Forty years wandering when he could have been nice and comfortable. Forty years when he could have seen the fulfillment of the Lord's function for his life. And recognizing it was the Lord's purpose for his brothers and sisters. Forty years of watching them die in the desert one by one. I think he was happy. So look what follows. Verse 8. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people sink. Have you been in churches like that? Where your brothers and sisters make your heart sink. And you'll notice the reason, because it follows immediately. And he says, absolutely, I, however, follow the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Christian optimism is based on who God is. It's not based on numbers. You know, there are only two, Joshua and Caleb, who saw the possibilities of walking with God into the land of Canaan 45 years earlier. Christian optimism is about recognizing who God is, not making him small enough to fit into our schemes, But to recognize the majesty and greatness of of who he is and to recognize, you know, this is his church. We're in his hand. And whatever he wants to do with us surely has got to be right. We need to be responsive to him. And in spite of the discouragement of those in Caleb's time who, who couldn't see the basis for Caleb's optimism. In spite of that, he didn't say, well, I'm going to down tools as well, and you know, I'm fed up with this crew, and so forth and so on. But he walked through the wilderness with the people of God. God's timing is, is important for us to recognize. And Caleb knew from what Moses had said to him that sometime the promise of God to him would be fulfilled. It's going to take 45 years. But he comes before Joshua at this time, and I just love that, verse 9. On that day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord wholeheartedly. It's all in the bank If you read 1 Peter chapter 1, 
The scripture talks about an inheritance which is undefiled, reserved in heaven for us. You're going to heaven, guys. Don't look so pleased about it. (laughs) But, you know, the future is a whole lot brighter than the present and the past. The inheritance is secured, secured by the death of another and one who has secured it forever because he lives in the power of an endless life. You know, to receive an inheritance from someone who is alive forever, almost like a contradiction in terms, isn't it? Inheritance has come through death. But because he's died and is alive forevermore, your future is secured. My future is secured by all that Christ has done. And this is the way it is. And sometimes we lose sight of the glories of the life that is yet to be. And it's a real shame. But this was the sustaining for Caleb. You know, the best is yet to be. Your inheritance will be secured. And where your feet have walked. Now we'll discover in a minute that Caleb's part of the spying out of the land must have been to look around Kiriath Arba, which later became Hebron. Because that was the bit that God gave him. He had to fight for it, of course, as we'll discover in a minute. But he recognized that that was the bit he had walked on. Where you've trodden will be your inheritance. And you and I have to commit to the Lord in this life. I know it's hard. I know there are huge difficulties. I know the way gets tough, but the reality of the situation is that this is that which God has promised. Can't we trust him? So three times you have this phrase, Caleb wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Caleb wholeheartedly followed the Lord. The Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. Be a good motto for next year, wouldn't it? Be a good motto for next month. Be a good motto for tomorrow. I'm going to make a change in my life. I'm just going to commit afresh to wholeheartedly following him. I want to read you a little passage from John 15. You don't need to turn to it, but it seems to lie parallel to this that we're looking at this morning. This is what the Lord Jesus says when he's talking to his disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. You're my friends if you do what I command. Greater love has no one less that he laid down his life for his friends. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit fruit that will last, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love one another 
as I have loved you. Sacrificially committed, involved. So where does this wholeheartedness lead him? Look at verse 10 and we come to the the crunch really of, of what's about to happen. Now then, just as the Lord has promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. You mean the serpent didn't bite you? No, it didn't. And the scorpion didn't bite you? No, it didn't. And you didn't become weak? No, I haven't. Because the Lord has promised me this future. The Lord has promised me that he will give me. So here I am today, 85 years old, still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out, as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourselves heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. And you can almost see this like a beacon in his mind, can't you? You're having a bad day in the desert and you're really getting a wee bit fed up with the taste of manna and you recognize there's a land flowing with milk and honey and the Lord's taking you there and his focus for the last 45 years has been this hill country, this place that they'd reconnoitered as a, as a spy 45 years earlier. It's fortified. It's not going to be easy. But I recognize one thing, that the Lord helping me, I can deal with this circumstance. I can deal with this situation because it's part of his promise. You know, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Walk with me. The future's secure. And there's no wavering in his faith and there's no weakening in his strength not because he's a great man, though he was, but because the secret of his life was this wholeheartedness. And I appeal to you, my dear brothers and sisters, we need to get back here because it's so easy to get comfortable. And one of the things that I've been praying about in my own life, and Jill knows this, is that I won't become stagnant. And I hate to get stuck. I have another birthday next month. And I would hate to get stuck just with that particular goal in mind. But to recognize that today is the day that the Lord has given, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. I told you a story, I think, about one of the, I don't know if you remember Eddie Vass, any of you who are old enough to remember Eddie, Leicestershire batsman. He became a Christian. And he was illustrating one day this whole question of the, the joy of the Lord and recognizing it. And I was working with him in a church in Newton Breda in Belfast. And it was an absolutely rotten day. Pouring rain. And it can pour in Belfast. And we stopped for fuel. And in those days, the ancient past, people used to fill your tank for you. And this guy came out of a wee kiosk and he's wearing a sou-west. I can see him yet. And the rain was pouring off the back of his cap and down his back and he was absolutely soaked and he came over to the window and Eddie said to him this is the day that the Lord has made we'll be glad and rejoice in it 
And the fellow said, if you were out here in the rain, you wouldn't be saying that. And Eddie said to him, away into the kiosk, I'm going to fill my own car. And the guy looked at him. And he said, then you're going to run off and not pay me. And Eddie said, no, because this is the day that the Lord has made. And I'm sitting in the passenger seat cringing. Anyway, he fills the car up and he goes into the kiosk. And he's there for 10 minutes. And I think he put about 10 shillings worth. That's how long ago it was. About 10 shillings worth of petrol in the car. And he was in there for 10 minutes. I said, what was it? What are you doing, Eddie? Well, he said, the fellow asked me why I said, this is the day that the Lord has made. And how can you rejoice in it? So I preached to him for 10 minutes. The Lord has promised me this mountain. The Lord has promised me he'll be with me in whatever battle I'm facing today. The Lord has promised that he will engage the enemy for me. I have to commit to it. I have to put on his armor, but I'm going to do it. And so you come to the end of verse 12. The Lord helping me. I will drive them out just as he said. Give me this fortified mountain and I drive them out. Caleb, you're 85. You know, catch yourself on. I know some are close to 84 or maybe just past 84, but, you know, you're 85. You need to wise up. The Lord with me, I shall be able. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, a verse that we often quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I guarantee that some of us this week, somebody will say to me or you, can you do such and such a thing? We'll say, I can't do that. I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me. I can face tomorrow through Christ who strengthens me. And if he gives me another day, I can face Christ. I can do all things. So here's an Old Testament man, but he's living in the awareness of the commitment of God to fulfill his will in his life. He recognizes that this is that which God has promised, so God will give the wherewithal for it to be accomplished. Now look what follows. Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. Hold on a minute. Hasn't God promised that to Caleb? Hasn't God said he will give this mountain to him? Yes, but in this situation... Joshua, whose name means Savior, you'll remember. Joshua, if I can put it like this, blesses Caleb in his commitment to fulfilling the will of God. And Joshua gives him Hebron. Now, the word Hebron means fellowship. I'm going to be into this tonight, so I don't want to anticipate it. But it's important just to recognize something here. This was going to become a city of refuge. And you'll notice that Joshua gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Caleb is going to give his city back to God for it to be used as a city of refuge. Isn't that beautiful? This which had been his ambition for 45 years. This which he was holding close to his heart after he had conquered it. 
he gave it back to the Lord as a city of refuge. And the Levites had it as their inheritance, such as the working of God and, and working out of his purpose. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, ever since because he followed the Lord of God of Israel wholeheartedly. And then you have this footnote. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Now let me introduce you to these um, giants of ancient times. You remember Goliath of Gath? Everybody remembers Goliath. If you trace his history, you'll discover he was one of the great-grandsons of Anak. He was one of the Anakites. Now, you've got three guys who are mentioned in the books of Numbers and Deuteronomy who were the sons of Anak. Anybody tell me their names? That's not fair, is it? Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai were the, same, the, the three great giants who colors the book who color the books of numbers in Deuteronomy. You remember their names? Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai. Why should we remember their names? Because they're going to be destroyed by Caleb. And they never appear again in scriptural history. They're mentioned in Numbers and Deuteronomy when the people are wandering in the desert. And their names haunt the Israelites in the desert because they hadn't dealt with the issue. You understand? As soon as the issue is dealt with, they're never mentioned again in the Scriptures. And you and I have faced issues in our lives and we haven't dealt with them. And until we deal with them, the blessing of God will be clouded to us. One of his sons-in-law, one of Caleb's sons-in-law, was a guy called Othniel. And again, I don't want to anticipate it for your further reading. He's mentioned in chapter 15. And you'll discover that Caleb delegates to him as his next leader, if you like, if I can express it like that, because Caleb was 85 years old. And his son-in-law, Othniel, becomes a very prominent man in Israel. And we need, I think, to, to have this sort of framework in our mind. We need to deal with issues as they arise, and that applies to all church and church life. We need to deal with issues as they arise. We don't need to sweep them under the carpet. You understand? They need to be dealt with. We need to deal with the giants, because if we don't, they will haunt the fellowship's function and work ongoingly. And those issues need to be dealt with, and not just... Shimmied around. They need to be absolutely dealt with. And when that is done, and we begin to experience the blessing of God and the inheritance that we have, we need to keep on handing the church back into the Lord's hands. That which the Lord gives in his blessing needs to be given back to him. The church needs to become functional under the Lord's direction. And each of us needs to be doing what the Lord would have us do. And we don't need to be looking after over each other's shoulders and saying, well, why isn't so-and-so doing such and such? We are called to fulfill the purpose of God in each of our lives and to do it wholeheartedly and to enjoy it. You know, this, this business of having to do stuff because nobody else in the church will do it. 
We need to stand back off that and say, well, look, what is actually the, the things that need to be done and outworked? What needs to be done? If it has to be done because nobody else will do it, then I need to get my thinking sorted, don't I? And we as a church need to fill the roles which the Lord would have us do so that he might work amongst us. We need to give him the elbow room to function within each member's life and, and witness so that that may be a personal blessing to each person that that person comes in contact with. I know I'm being a bit Irish, but you know what I'm trying to say. It's only as we function before the Lord as individuals that the church functions before the Lord. Uh, the church doesn't get more holy because we all come together in a bunch. Individual holiness you can't catch. It's something that each of us has to recognize within our own lives. Individual obedience, the same. If the Lord says something to me and says something which is very obviously of him, I have to fulfill it and do it. And we share it together in our working, walking forward with the Lord. And I said carefully, according to Scripture, this fortified hill of Anak would never have become part of Israel's inheritance unless Caleb had committed to doing it. Everybody else was scared. It's one of the reasons, the main reasons, if you look at Numbers 14, it's one of the main reasons the children of Israel didn't enter the land a generation earlier. They were afraid. So he's given this land and he conquers it. And then you have this phrase that closes our reading on my talk this morning. Then the land had rest from war. doesn't mean they stopped doing things. It meant they were no longer actively engaged in warfare. The following chapter, uh, as you read it, you'll discover that all the delineation of the various tribes is put in place. They were able to enter into their inheritance and work within the community as the Lord directed them. So you fight your battles under the Lord's direction, and then you find yourselves at rest in the sense that you're at peace. It doesn't mean you lie down and snore all day, though someone has suggested that this morning. But that, that's not actually what it's about. But you're at peace because you're, you're functioning in that into which the Lord has brought his blessing. And we need to, to recognize that in our life in, in the church, don't we? To be at peace. You know, it's one of the gifts of the Lord, together with the joy of the Lord, as mentioned in John 15. This whole question of of just enjoying him, enjoying our fellowship. One of the, the lovely things for the past three years, which I've greatly uh, enjoyed in your company, is just enjoying the fellowship of one another. It's just been terrific. Your warmth, your gentleness, you're putting up with me for two Sundays a month, four sermons a month. I was thinking about it the other day. It must have been so painful for you. That's, seriously, I mean, that's nearly 150 times you have to listen to me over the last three years. But the Lord's gracious, isn't he? And you put up with me, you forbear with me, and Jill, but much more with me. And, you know, this whole question of recognizing the, the reality of this fellowship. We're in this together, brothers and sisters. We're committed to the Lord. 
We're committed to one another in his purpose. Give me this mountain. This thing that has haunted me. This thing that's driven me for 45 years. Give me this mountain. Let me enter into this blessing that you have for me as I begin to function as you have determined. What a blessing. Caleb is one of the great object lessons of the (laughs) Old Testament. Let's pray together, shall we?